Hey, this is Nicole dropping in at the top of the episode to apologize once again for my audio quality. I had to phone in to this episode. My computer and I were not on speaking terms that week because it was not behaving. And uh, I've done the best I can to bring my audio levels up to about the same volume as Brett and David, but I'm not sure I got quite all the way there. I've tried to sweeten it up a little bit. It's still very listenable as usual, but it is not up to my preferred standard. So I just wanted to say sorry, and we're working on it, and I do have better equipment now, and future episodes, you should hear a vast improvement. But for right now, I hope that I make up for it in our passionate discussion of the fantastic movie, Your Name. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to Movie Go Round, the podcast that rotates among different themes every week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is Future Classics. Hello everybody, my name is Brett. Joining me this fine morning slash afternoon, uh, I guess depending on which time zone a host is in, there's three of us now in all three different time zones. David Luzader, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm here ready to discuss one of my favorite movies of the last few years and uh, possibly one of my favorite movies. I don't know. It still feels too early to say that, but we'll see how it shakes out. Very good. And Nicole, how are you? Nicole Davis. I'm well. I gave myself a massive allergy attack yesterday while emptying out the vacuum cleaner canister. Um, but I seem to have recovered mostly from that. And I've had my coffee. And even though I'm the latest one in terms of time zones, it still feels like morning to me. So I think we're all on a level. Right on. Well, we are here for Future Classics is where, where one of us has the opportunity to pick a film that has come out in the last decade. And it has to be a film that we deem in some way, shape or form is going to be a future classic. Uh, David, you picked the film. But before we introduce your film for this week, let's go ahead and fast forward to next week so fans can follow along. Nicole, next week is Around the World, an international pick. It's your pick. What are we going to be watching? We will be watching the odd cultural artifact of Giorgio Moroder Presents Metropolis, which is Metropolis, but it's a restoration that was done under the auspices of Giorgio Moroder, who put a 1980s pop soundtrack on it, along with tinting the film in places. So it's just this really odd bird of a German film, and we haven't done a German movie yet, so I figured let's go for it. Glad someone bought that for me for... uh christmas two years ago yeah yeah i wonder who that was hmm. <laughs> all righty very cool all right well we'll have to check that out for next week this week however we watched 2016's your name mitsuha and taki are complete strangers living separate lives until they suddenly switch places mitsuha wakes up in taki's body and he in hers this occurrence happens randomly and they must adjust their lives around each other Yet, somehow it works. They build a connection by leaving notes for one another until they wish to finally meet. But something more daunting than distance may keep them apart. 
Uh, David, tell us a little bit about why you picked your name as a future classic. Oh, boy. I mean, there's so many reasons. I think it just it's a it's a movie that presents itself as and and you know obviously we're going to discuss spoilers. I want to say for people, if you haven't seen this movie uh, and you know kind of nothing about it, you just kind of know the body swapping element of it, and that's all you know. Stop here and do yourself a favor and go watch it because there is a lot more to this film than the body swapping than what it kind of sells itself as, which is you know lighthearted and fun. But as the movie kind of delves deeper, it starts telling this very engrossing story this very touching story. I, I cried a lot the first time that I watched this movie. Now that's like my fourth or fifth time seeing it. I didn't cry as much. I still welled up a little, got a little emotional, but not quite the same reaction. I think, you know, it's a beautifully animated movie. Uh, it's a very well-told story. It's it just kind of hits all the right beats as to why I think it's going to be a classic. I think because of those reasons, it's going to be one of those anime movies that a lot of people have seen, or it's like, oh my gosh, you haven't seen your name. It was the highest grossing movie in Japan in 2016 by like a long shot, like severely outgrossed Star Wars is the fourth highest grossing movie in Japan is one of like the highest grossing anime movies out there. It just, it's so good. It's like, it's, it's really hard for me to kind of put into words in the same way that watching Paddington 2. I'm like, yes, this movie is perfect and great in every way. <laughs> why it just is you kind of have to see it and that's i kind of hate that's kind of a cop-out for your name i've tried to kind of put some words to it a little bit more than that but i think it, it's just such an experience and i'm gonna shut up now so we can discuss this thing and nicole had seen this before as well so so i was definitely a newcomer to this but even nicole said to me before watching this just go buy it and you were right i went and i bought it and i'm so glad i did oh good Good, good, good. I wish that I had like an even more complex cut of it. Like I wish there was already a criterion that I could I <laughs> dive into and, and get all the commentaries and stuff. Um, assuming they're, they'd be in English and I could understand them. But um, yeah, you guys were right. <laughs> Just start the podcast okay. with that. Good, good, good. I was super lucky in that this actually came to my local cinema. So I went to see it with my boyfriend and like, three other people in the smallest theater that the, the uh, cinema had but it was it is a gorgeous movie and i'm so glad i got to watch it on a bigger screen the first time and i cried also <laughs> <laughs> so obligatory note here at the top for any anime film is there a i mean there has to be a, a cut that is available for us easily that is subbed because I watched a dub cut, which is just like the default available on Amazon. I didn't even have an available subs cut to watch it subbed. Do they not allow you to change the language on Amazon? I I, I own the movie as well, so I, I only I have no idea. Yeah, so I rented it and then ended up buying it. And on Amazon, it just gives you the English version, um, which is beautifully voice acted. Like it, it is one of the best, if not the best dubs I've ever seen. Um, but I was curious did you guys watch one that was in japanese yeah i've only seen the the japanese it's the it's the one i own it's the only one i've watched yeah i own the blu-ray and i've only watched it in japanese with english subtitles yeah and i and i should say the version this is so weird i'll explain like i the, the reason they can only watch it in japanese is because for some reason i bought this on the playstation store and I bought the original, like it was on sale, I think. And I was like, I haven't mean to watch this. Sure, I'll, I'll pop a couple bucks down. And it's like the original Japanese version has it's labeled. So it's only Japanese. But when I, when I want to watch this, I have to weirdly search my PlayStation to find it. And uh, I, I should probably buy the Blu-ray at this point. 
it looks like that's the same issue I ran into because on Prime, um, it has your name and then it has a separate listing for your name, original Japanese version. So I just watched it. I'll, all right. So I'll actually say here then as long as, as long as we're on that subject, oh my gosh, the vocal acting for the English version. And actually my thoughts about the pop songs might be different because they're English pop songs in the one I watched. Um, so I, that might explain some of the thoughts I have versus well, what you guys might think. No, it's, I mean, it's the same, it's the same band. Oh, is it? It's, uh, yeah, he did the English covers. It's the same. It's my understanding is that the band, the rad wimps, the, the lead singer did English versions of the song for the English version of the movie. <laughs> Gotcha. All right. Well, in any case, I, I would just throw out there that since you guys also love this movie, give the dub a shot too. It's it's beautiful, and I'm going to go back and watch the sub now. But let's dive into some of our discussion topics because we have a bevy of them, and we only have 45 minutes at this point, so we really need to go. <laughs> Uh, this movie plays with gender expectations and perceptions uh, from Nicole. Yeah, this movie, in in a lesser movie, the body swap, and I know this is what you're talking about, but I was just I just want to say, like in a lesser movie, the body swap could be really pervy, and <laughs> I guess is the right word. But because this movie, I mean, it has its moments, but but also that's the same reaction that like every teenage boy would probably have to that yeah. situation. <laughs> exactly, like the whole body exploration on both sides is done so tactfully in this movie, and it's built on upon yes. such great characters that it doesn't feel that way. Um, I know it's not what you're getting at, but I thought I'd drop that there, right? But this movie does play with gender expectations and perceptions, certainly. Yeah, something that I noticed this time, or at least paid more attention to i mean it's right there to see but it appears that like the people who aren't their immediate friends like the character better when the person of the opposite gender is occupying it like suddenly taki becomes much more favored by this you know lovely girl that he works with because of the the feminine traits he's suddenly showing and mitsuha becomes more popular with the boys of the town because of the masculine traits that she's been exhibiting. And even another girl in town, apparently. Um, I, love that little- I know, it's so cute. And I mean, it's it's a very quick, you know, montage that this happens in, but I just thought that was really interesting. And I mean, even one of Taki's close friends was like, you know, yeah, you were really differently yesterday. It was kind of cute. <laughs> And that, that's one thing, too, that I think is a little bit lost. And it's a little bit lost, too, in not me not being a, a Japanese speaker. Um, this is something that's like explained to me later. There's a part in the movie, and I don't know actually how they would handle this in the dub, where Taki or Mitsuya as Taki is referring to themselves. And they use a way of doing that in the Japanese that is feminine, because in Japanese, there are a bunch of different ways to refer to yourself with like single words that have masculine or feminine or neutral connotations. And so there's this whole part when they refer to themselves and as like, I, but they're like, Oh wait, why'd you use that word? That's very feminine. And there's a second of her trying to figure out which word to say. 
Uh, and so they eventually like, and like the, his friends are sitting there like shaking their head when it's the wrong kind of word. And then finally <laughs> she says, ore, which is a very masculine way to refer to yourself. And they're all like, yes, that's the word <laughs> that you want to use. Manly. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yes. You're a man. You're a man. Is this a scene where they're all having lunch on the tennis court? Yes. Yes. Okay, interesting. Yeah, the dub approaches that a little bit differently. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly what it is, but they're actually not... I want to say it's tied to him not knowing where to work. Like, they almost dragged that out longer in the dub. Because they didn't do anything like that. There, there, is a, there is a moment later in the movie where they kind of play with it a little bit, just the two of them forgetting what body they're in, where Mitsuha, you know, says, oh, he apologizes for breaking your bike to her friend because Taki... And her body had broken his bike and he gets all confused. And like they play with that a little bit, but the language specific pronouns, no. Yeah, I thought that's probably my biggest question would be like that'd be my biggest interest in watching that scene in the dub. You got lost. Yeah. Wait a second. How'd you wind up getting lost on the way to school? Uh, well, a girl. A girl? A, a gal. Hmm? I mean, uh, a guy. Hmm. You know, guys just want to have fun. Every day's a festival when you're living in Tokyo. There's some very, uh, the, the Japanese have very strong cultural connotations of manliness and femininity and yeah, blah, blah, blah. I think that adds a whole extra layer that even me as someone who like has a passing understanding of that, but not like not as a Japanese person and hasn't delved too into it, I can't fully appreciate. I think that's part of why maybe this movie did so well in Japan is because it plays this very particular cultural strength yet some of it still is universal right there's still stuff when i really appreciate that nobody in this movie is ever like oh talkies and i'm going to use some words here that uh i do not condone but i've seen lots of animes where even modernish animes where words like this would be uh used it's like oh talkies acting like a real fruit or something like that they're they don't ever like play like oh talkies acting very gay today which which even shows that I love, I'm looking at you, One Punch Man, have some very bad issues with homosexuality and the way characters like those are represented. So I am very appreciative that never happened. Yeah, I mean, they take a a pretty modern approach to it. I think it helps that the director and writer, uh, Makoto Shinkai, is 43, so he's relatively young to be handling a movie this big. And I think he's probably got a little bit more of a a modern attitude than perhaps. I don't think Miyazaki would actually come anywhere near this with a 10-foot pole, but someone of his age might Mm -hmm. not approach it the same way. Right, yeah. Very different cultural perceptions. Different approaches within the same culture. Right. And this movie does play with cultures in an interesting way, and I thought it was a unique way to contrast like new and old Japan in, in modern context, like through the eyes of these two teenagers, because there are so many moments in this movie where something mundane to one is fascinating and thrilling to the other. And I just love that because Japan, I don't know a ton about Japan, but my understanding is that there still are like areas of Japan that are, that do have a cultural divide as significant as what we see between the two main characters in this movie. 
Yep. A really good illustration of that would be, hey, anybody visiting Japan, stick to the cities. Because if you try to go out to like the country, it's to- like you're going to have no luck getting around. <laughs> nobody, nobody there is going to like speak English. Nobody there is going to be able to like help you. Like they're not that they're like insular, but they are much more removed from like these urban settings even in a way that's different, like in America, where I've lived in smaller towns that border on cities, uh, but still culturally, things feel fairly similar. Where, yeah, you're, you're right, there is a difference in Japan of like going out to the country versus the city, very big different ways of life. Yeah, particularly, I think that the reverence for ancestry and culture that that is, you know, put upon Mitsuha in her household and in her town just doesn't seem to exist in real any significant capacity for for Taki. So I think that is is the most jarring thing aside aside boobs. Uh, that seems to be something incredibly jarring to him. And in, in, in when he switches roles, is the fact that that is such a massive part of Mitsuha's grandmother's life and her sister's life and and everyone around them. Yeah, I mean, it, it should be said, Mitsuha and her sister are shrine maidens, which is not, I don't think, something that's done at all in the cities, but like it's their job to perform certain rituals. And it's expected of the women in their family to do this, to pay uh, tribute to the, the god of that shrine. I think it's a Shinto practice. And I wrote down the name of the god. Is it Mabubi? Something like that? Yeah, the name the name of the god and the concept of time and all these things are dang it. Oh, Musubi. I'm sorry, Musubi. Yes. And so Musubi is stands for the flow of time and nodding and how people's lives tie together, consuming something so it becomes part of your soul. All those things are part of what this god stands for. And that's a big part of what's expected of Mitsuha just by virtue of being part of that family. Right. And whereas, you know, Taki, it's just, he's expected to go to school and go to his job and that's it. And Mm -hmm. I suspect that's why we don't know his dad very much because he's just, he's not home. (laughs) Yeah. So. Yeah. The, the, it seemed like there was not as much, and I I don't want to say the word care, but it seems like some of the details of Taki's life didn't really maybe enter their mind as much or weren't solidified. Like even if you read up on, uh, like what what happened to his mom? The creator is like, yeah, his mom probably divorced him a few years ago. Like he he uses kind of general language <laughs> of like the side of Taki, that, you know, like his backstory, and maybe because like he doesn't have as as strong of a cultural connection, like just isn't as developed. Which I, I, you know, the more I watch it, the more I'm like, I kind of want to know a little bit more about Taki's side, like in his family, his connection to it. But, uh, you know, the story's so good and you're wrapped up so much in it that I think I could, you can give it a pass of he's developed in, in many other ways. Uh, That's true. You know, what what happens for Mitsuha is, I think, tied exactly to her identity. But is there a reason that Taki in particular is who she switches with other than the fact that she gives him her court? Is that the only reason that they're linked but yeah, then see. why would they be linked in the first place? She hadn't yeah. given her core. And then you start getting into like time loops and <laughs> yeah, paradoxes and things. There's some stuff with this movie where you just have to accept like, okay, 
this is just what's happening because the more you th- they they give the passing explanation of like oh the, the grandmother is like oh i used to do this and like i used to dream of someone else's life and same thing happened to your mother and it's like okay accept that explanation because there's really nothing else in in right taki slash mitsuya says like oh i think the reason why is all been leading up to this moment but we don't really know and i appreciate that they that we don't really know but yeah you can't give that aspect of it too much thought because then it starts to fall apart in the way of like how do they never notice it was the right year how do they never notice it was the right like time of the week and and stuff like that so you just gotta go with he never learned the name of the town that he was spending so much time in (laughs) he was he was starting to forget you know, I think there's there's a little bit of magic hand wavy of like it's just happening. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. I, w- I want to dial back a little bit as well because I was reading a bunch of reviews of this film, and one thing that kept that kept popping up in the reviews was what seemed to be like a common criticism of anime, which is these insufficiently developed male protagonists, and that's what they kept calling out in particular. And and I I also noticed that too, like Taki does seem to fall short. We get a lot of Mitsuo's grandmother, we don't get a lot of his father, his domestic life is kind of mysterious, you know, his interests and ambitions, aside from the fact that he ends up being interested in architecture, we don't get a lot out of what else kind of drives him. Yeah, you only see like posters in his room here and there. And it makes more sense after he becomes fascinated with, you know, the landscape of this town and, and like you get it, but there is this this void of character that you get in spades with, with Mitsuha. And like my, my thought actually more so was like, what if the final act of this movie was kind of reversed in that regard? Because I, I kind of look at this movie in like three acts and we could talk about each of them separately later, but like the first act is that we're switching places. The second act is there's a there's a meteor and uh, we've now made this like a natural disaster science fiction movie. And then like the third one is like time travel and they kind of all go together. And once you hit that time travel act, it's almost entirely talky because at that point, Mitsuha is presumed obliterated uh, by this comet and at least this timeline um, and part of me wonders, like, what if the movie reversed the events or the characters in a way where that last act is held more by her, where, like, she's the one who is unraveling things and discovering the mysteries and searching for him, but they kind of just leave that all on him at the end. And I almost wonder what it would look like the other way around. I think, I mean, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff to the story that, yeah, it could be told in, in some different ways and, and really could be explored in some different elements. I think, you know, I hadn't thought too much about the whole like male characters aren't as well developed in all my years of watching anime, but there definitely are some animes where that rings true. Men tend to maybe fall a little bit more into stereotypes. Ah, you just kind of accept them being like this because they're men. And I don't know. That's, that's interesting. I don't, I don't think I have a full cohesive thought on it. Yeah. I don't know if I do either. No, I don't want to interrupt you, but I don't know if I do either. Uh, it's just something I found, I I found interesting because that, that came up organically in this conversation. I'm just noticing that, that, you know, Taki, we get less of him, but maybe that's okay. You know, uh, I think we, he is developed in many other ways. And and I mean, that might be a partly a cultural thing. Is, you know, men are expected to be, it it seems like they are expected to be more stoic mm-hmm. um, in Japan, unless they've been drinking 
less <laughs> expression of emotion is expected where, you know, it's okay if you're blitzed to, you know, clap the next guy on the back and tell him that you love him and boy, my life's going down the toilet because of X, Y, Z or whatever, you know. But in day-to-day life, at least in the Japanese media that I've seen, let me put it that way, since I've I've not been to Japan, I've not lived in Japan, uh, I've obviously never been a Japanese man. But from what I have seen and gathered, it seems like it's much less acceptable to learn about a man's inner life just from what you see of him day-to-day. Mm-hmm. Whereas women are much more... You know, you learn a lot more about them just from daily life. They're more open with what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, let's talk about the moment when you realize that that it's gone kind of into that second act, that it's not just a body swapping story. Oh, and this happens okay. like right at about an hour. This movie's like not even two hours, and it's just a roller coaster, in my opinion. Like, it's one of those movies that is throwing so much at you gracefully. It doesn't feel like you're being overloaded, but. It's throwing so many twists at you that totally caught me off guard an hour into the movie. It was breathtaking, like literally breathtaking when they shot when Taki gets to the top of the hill and sees the town. I I literally gasped in the movie theater. Well, and I think even a little bit before that, too, it's right after his date where he, he tries to call Mitsuya for the first time and doesn't answer. And he's like, because you think like, oh, it's because she's at the festival because of the way they kind of cut it together. And then he's like, and we stopped switching places just after that. And you're kind of like, wait a second. Hold on. What's wait, what? Why? What's, yeah. <laughs> why did that happen? And then like, as Nicole said, like it, it develops a little bit further. And then he, you know, you see what happened to the town. You're like, wait a minute. No, she was, they were just there. It was just fine. What happened? You gotta stop building towns there. <laughs> literal astronomical chances that it's gonna get hit by an asteroid twice. I think that'd be the safest place to build it statistically. <laughs> but no. So. Yeah, no, it's it's gosh, the way I could watch this movie if it was three hours long. I, I mentioned that in our docket, and I really could because I mean, first of all, at the end of the movie I found myself wanting more, even though I knew it had it had already given me the perfect amount. I had already had my daily recommended serving of this movie <laughs> and I don't think it should be any longer. So I'll, I'll say that, that I think it ends perfectly and it doesn't need to be longer, but it could be. And I'd be okay with it because once it takes that turn and now it's going into the various time loops and, and it's, you're right, David, like you can't think that hard about it. Cause like that was my big plot hole initially was, Oh, why can't he remember this town's name? Because this is at the point where he can still remember the landscape. He can still remember her name. So he's remembering enough, but he's not remembering like the name of the high school he kept going to with her. But the but the way I kind of like rationalize that in my head is that this movie kind of captures that out of mind haze that you get when you're trying to remember a really good dream. Mm-hmm. Like you can remember the broad strokes, like you can remember the town and maybe some of the people and like you can remember that sort of thing. But it seems like the details that you sometimes really need to grasp onto in order to really remember your dream, you just can't get. And like I think that movie, this movie kind of captures that because it all it almost seems like in that entire act where he's searching for her, he's just trying to remember the details of this beautiful, amazing dream, mm-hmm. and just can't get them. Yeah, yeah. It's oh god, it's just so it's just so well put together. It's because you think it's <laughs> it's just going to be like oh they're switching bodies and then eventually they they meet and oh fall in love and isn't that great? But it's like no, a town is destroyed by a comet and they have to use this crazy thing that's happening to them as a way to save everybody. And it's like, okay, wow, there's some serious stakes 
to imagine yeah. imagine if freaky friday with jamie lee curtis and Lindsay lohan just all of a sudden they were like we have to stop 9-11 you'd be like wait what hold on <laughs> what's happening we just this got way more important and the movie never lets you have that moment of we'll, we'll talk about the final scene at the end of the podcast maybe but like the movie never gives you the the emotional release of of like them being together really at least at least in the way you picture them like you don't ever get a kiss scene in this movie or anything like that and it always takes you to the limit and then literally it vanishes because golden hour is over and they both disappear it's so oh sad. god that was so sad when the pen she's about to write her name on him and the pen just falls to the ground and she's gone that was the first time mm-hmm. i cried when i first saw this movie <laughs> and he didn't write his name he wrote i love you no. yeah I it's oh. <laughs> It's great. Yeah. Is it weird that I was watching the golden hour scene and I'm like, oh, this is Field of Dreams. <laughs> this is, he can only hang out with his dad for the next half hour because then sun sunlight goes away or something like that. Uh, yeah, that which, is weird. Which now, <laughs> which gives me the excuse now to talk about something I've been waiting to talk about for so long in a movie, and that is liminal spaces. Woo! Oh my God. I have learned, words. I learned <laughs> two things in college uh one is how to operate a fancy camera the other thing is obscure weird folklore stuff one of them being liminal spaces and yes it's it's a bit of a vocab word but the concept of liminal spaces i'm going to try to explain this very quickly liminal spaces are this place between where you are and where you are going so it's between the known and the unknown like a, a common example used a lot in this movie as well is like, say you're in a room and there's another room and you're going to cross through a doorway to go in there. That doorway is a liminal space. So this movie has a, oftentimes will show you doors opening and people standing on one side, getting ready to move into the other. Also, you have the whole twilight aspect. That is the the moment between daytime and nighttime. And the idea with liminal spaces in folklore and storytelling is that since it is moving between the known and the unknown, that is what changes us, is going through the liminal space. It changes us to go into the unknown. And this movie is full of that because there's the whole, there's all the doorways. As I said, there is that moment where they are at twilight that they, they mentioned several times by name. They are in between day and nighttime. It's sort of this magical space where like anything can happen. There's also the, where the, the first comet hit that they go to and there's that whole part when she's like, when you cross here, when you cross through this river, you are going into the underworld. So that river is another example of it's just all over this movie. And my mm-hmm. nerdy heart was like, ah, oh, finally, my college education is paying <laughs> off in this movie right now. Thank goodness it's somewhere, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, that's absolutely fascinating. I was just wondering, like, how conscious of that do you think a director is uh, when it, they're making a film like this this movie very <laughs> with yeah. with, how, yeah. <laughs> with how often it shows up very yeah 100 percent. this movie i was i was just saying it occurs to me in american folklore it's like midnight on halloween night when the veils between worlds right. are the thinnest kind of thing that's that's something that of a liminal space that americans could identify with yeah it is just yeah it is that space between two quote unquote worlds and anything can anything can kind of happen there, such as you swapping bodies with somebody hundreds of miles away. Right. Right. And the twilight, they're not just reaching across they're reaching across time. 
yeah. during that twilight time on the edge of the crater. And God, isn't that a gorgeous shot when they're <sighs> mm-hmm. running toward one another on the lip of the crater and the camera, you know, pulls back so you really see the scale of it. And it's, it's monstrously big. Mm-hmm. And the details on the backgrounds in this movie are just absolutely stunning. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're one thing that has caught my eye every time I watch this is when can't remember can't remember her name now it's one of Mitsuya's friends uh, uh, Sayara I want to say or yeah I think, yeah she goes she's at a uh, convenience store and where she is standing the ground is very worn down from people standing there a lot and it's it's just this passing mm-hmm. background thing you know the ground didn't need to look like that but it's this extra detail that makes the world feel very lived in and like oh okay this is the one little store in town that everybody comes to so of course you know you, you see that sometimes in convenience stores like the spot right in front of the cash register is a little bit worn down from people are standing and kind of shuffling their feet and, and all that and it's just yeah that little that little detail adds so much more to this movie it's it's wonderfully refreshing as well to just see such a beautiful style of hand-drawn animation <laughs> it's it's just it's so unlike what we're used to in, in Western culture with our animation and what's most popular here. It reminds me just at least of a comment that we made when we were reviewing Into the Spider-Verse many, many episodes mm-hmm. ago, which was that you could kind of pause that movie and any frame would really be something worth framing. And that's how you feel about so much of this movie. Because even just the the incredible pops of color like there's nothing particularly extraordinary about the town that Mitsuha lives in, but just the pops of greens and blues and the trees and the lake and are just breathtaking. Just the time you spend in that town is just otherworldly. Just the color palette used in this movie. Yeah, and I mean, there's little pops in in Taki's world as well. Like he lives in an apartment on the. I don't know if it's on the outskirts of Tokyo because Tokyo is humongous and the metropolitan area is still bigger, but you can just see between a couple of buildings and over the top of one of the nearby buildings, you can just see like the very top of Tokyo tower from where he lives. So it's this little pop of red right. at the top that catches your eye. Oh, it, yeah. There's <laughs> one of the, one of the tracks in the album, which I know, Brett, you have some issues with the the lyric songs, <laughs> but all of the music is done by the the bad, the rad wimps. And every time I watch this movie, I end up listening to the soundtrack. But there is a track that's like the first look at Tokyo, and it's it's such a great track. The music that accompanies that scene when she gets to see it, and we see it through her eyes, and how like magical it kind of seems, where cities really are overwhelming behemoths. Uh, but just like that first look she gets at it, and the way the music picks up is just is really beautiful. I really like that scene. Like, I, I do like that as well. I, I, I put a comment in our docket that said, this movie for me as a first-time viewer is 99% perfect and 1% jarring pop montages. 
And I think I like they're, the montages. They're free. <laughs> they serve a purpose. And 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 I understand they serve a purpose. And I understand also after doing significant reading on this film that I am very much the minority. People love this soundtrack, and I get why they love it. It's just like I'm watching this beautiful, amazing movie, and all of a sudden, like the music. And maybe it's because the translations are just cheesy in in English. Mm-hmm. But like it's they're like doing something super important, and the music's like we gotta get to work. And I'm like, oh my god! <laughs> wow! And it's just like it's really jarring, like transitions, and, and that might be the English versions of the songs. Maybe they're just more tactful in their native language, but they're so cheesy. <laughs> well, they certainly rhyme better in, <laughs> in Japanese, I would imagine, than the English translations. Yeah, like they're just like I think I think that that's the problem is that they're inc- maybe maybe this is the problem that I watch the English versions because they're very literal. Like they'll be they'll be the montage where they're each the coding of being, you know, a woman in a man's body and vice ver- and vice versa and like how they're acting and more feminine and more masculine and like the song in the background is like we're going to do it for each other. And like oh my okay. god. Okay. All right. <laughs> music does not have the sound that Brett is giving it. It is not no. that. It is not like that. It is not a drum circle. I wonder if we can push our way through the countless barriers waiting in the future just beyond our view. Side by side, no way we can lose. We'll be destiny Oh, no, no, no. I don't know. So, you know what? I, I am going to go back and I'm going to watch this in Japanese and I'll report back on that particular quip. But note, that is 1% of a whole of 100. I otherwise thought this movie is mostly perfect. I um, We'll yeah. get to that at the end of the show. But I mean, and most critics review and rate. Most critics definitely agree with you. I was looking at reviews online because I was kind of surprised by the Metacritic score because it's like 80 and i i was ex- fully expecting it to be higher because i saw so many reviews that were absolutely blown away by this movie and the uh, the chief aspect of the negative reviews that i saw are mainly this isn't miyazaki which is so that, weird that seems to be the biggest gripe is like this isn't fluid in the same way that oh i don't know say hayao miyazaki's movies are this isn't <laughs> detailed in the character drawings as say Miyazaki's movies are and I'm just like you oh god shut up no, I don't agree with any of that <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah I don't agree with any of that yeah that in fact it's funny because it seems like the director is also working against his own expect like the expectations he himself has set now because I was doing some reading on the subsequent film that he made after this weathering with you and I'd really like to see it now but it's funny because all the reviews are like, wow, this movie's amazing, but I have to knock it because it's not your name. Like, <laughs> you can't do that. No. You can't just give it a worse review because you don't think it's as good okay. as the previous one. That's not people, how art works. If people want to do this um, crap, then what they need to do is go go watch his movie five centimeters per second and then appreciate how much he has grown between that and your name. Five centimeters per second is a beautiful movie. 
but gah, are the protagonists hard to sit through sometimes. Like, Interesting. Okay. There's a lot of reflection upon relationships and like, it's about two people growing apart over their lives and it's told in three parts. It's very beautiful to look at, but it is a lot of reflection and navel gazing that is not present in this movie. So I'm going to give this movie big ups for not being five centimeters per second. If that's the logic. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Have you have either of you seen Weathering with you? Not yet. No. Okay, I'm going to rent it this week and I'll, I'll report back because I'm fascinated, particularly because I have heard that there is an unsubtle cameo, extended cameo from our two leads in this movie. Oh. So you might get some sort of resolution as to as to what happens to them beyond the finale of this movie. I'm not even sure if I want that, but I'm, I'm going to go see it anyway. Hmm. And we'll get to that here in a little bit. I don't want I want to talk about the ending at the ending. <laughs> Let's talk about this is a movie where rewatches really do pay off big time. David, you put this in our docket. And Nicole, you put a bunch of examples. Let's talk a little about a bit through these, and I will relinquish the floor to you two because I've only seen this once. Yeah. The, I, I want to pull the first one here. Nicole brings up, which is true, which is the, the date versus day of the week, which... I never pay attention to every time I watch this movie. I'm somehow, I, I'm aware that there's disparities. There has to be. But each time I'm just like, okay, the dates are, but if you do pay attention, the dates are, and day of the week are different. Yeah, you have to, you really have to be eagle-eyed to catch it. It's just when they're looking at their phones, you can see that the 12th is a Sunday for one of them and a Thursday for the other one kind of thing. Yeah. And there's the the bracelet that he has, uh, which you see him wearing, but we don't get the reason as to why he has it until close to the end of the movie, where we see their actual first meeting, which is after the dreams had stopped for her, but had not started for him because they're separated by three years in time. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> so present day Taki uh, is often wearing this bracelet that Mitsuya gave him, but he doesn't know that it's her that gave it to him. Yeah, and the, the last one isn't a, a thing that happens because of the separation in time, but it's just a, a detail that I noticed because I was re-watching it. When Taki goes to the cave where the god vessel is and where the Kuchika Mizake has been brought, there's a rendering on the roof of the cave of a, a comet falling. And the reason why it's there is because this same comet came around 1,400 years ago and a piece broke off. And that's what created that crater in the first place was the, the comet strike the last time the comet came around in its orbit. Or I guess, you know, technically the meteorite strike when a piece broke off the comet last time. So it's just, you know, bringing it back around again in, into a loop. You know, it's tying off the circles. It's reconnecting, which is what this movie is all about. You know, it's connections and bringing things back around again. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I, I definitely will be watching this film again um, in the not so distant future because I want to show it to my fiance now. But uh, I could imagine that like this stuff and probably more is, is well served by multiple rewatches. Yeah. There's so many details to appreciate in this movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Most certainly. So let's talk a little bit about the end of the movie. Uh, we we have a meeting finally, and it's 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 kind of a perfect meeting because they they both recognize they're now adults and they have jobs, and we actually seem to know more about Taki at this point than her, which is kind of a flip of the switch on that paradigm. But it's interesting because they finally see each other at the end of the movie, and they like kind of rush to find each other, but neither of them know who the other person is, 
they don't know their name or why they feel like they know that other person. Like all the, the huge adventure we have just gone through is gone in both their minds. And there's almost something really beautiful about that ending to me that I, I there is something beautiful really that I love about it because it feels like there was just endless obstructions to them interacting and meeting each other. Mm-hmm. And now finally at the very end of the movie, there's like, there's no obstructions. Like they don't have anywhere to be. They have nothing to do. They're face to face. They're not going to be pulled away from each other randomly. It's, it's kind of the perfect ending for me. I agree. I think there is uh, I, I don't need to know that they end up together, like in the context of the movie, because it just, it feels right that they do. And like what, what we've wanted the whole movie is a real life meeting between them. We get, we get they meet each other briefly and then forget about that meeting on top of the mountain. But then we finally get that they they they, they just they walk by each other and they stop and they introduce and uh, it's like your name is and like they're oh they're together yay that's all I needed I'm happy <laughs> right <laughs> they finally recognized each other in some way and are they had shown earlier that they had passed one another on the street at some point and. It's such a beautifully illustrated way of showing that social inhibition that you get. Like when you see somebody who you think you recognize, but you don't want to be wrong and like wave to them and then be like, who is this weirdo yeah. waving to me? I don't know them. You know, kind of, so, they, so they don't say anything and they don't stop and they don't talk to each other. But finally, at the very end, Taki overcomes that. And he's just like, no, 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 I'm going to say something. (laughs) Going to say something. And she's so relieved. And they're both crying. And it's beautiful. And I need to go watch this again. (laughs) And I I love, too, and uh, there's a little montage towards the end where you see where everybody from the town that we've been introduced to, even characters that showed up early, that didn't have like the the popular kids at school that kind of get introduced or the ones that at least are kind of giving Mitzi a tough time. There's like a little montage of where they're all at. So you get to see where these people who left this town that was struck by a, a meteor are now doing in Tokyo. And you get to like see her sister in, in school and you get to see some people working. And it's just like, it's a nice little moment of like, not just her being alive and them meeting, which is a nice impact of them saving the day but you actually get to kind of see what they saved it's not just like as much as it is about the love story and i love the love story and yeah give me the love story they recognize like they're not trying to just save the town because he wants to save mitsuya they're trying to save the town because 500 people died and uh it'd be kind of nice to save 500 people from dying if you can do that right you see that mitsuya's two friends tessie and saira end up together Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a sweet moment it is again Calling back to my weird field of dreams and that callback, another weird, less cultured uh, <laughs> callback I had here was he keeps seeing her and she's holding the umbrella and it's over her face. I'm like, what is this? How I met your mother? And like, <laughs> kept doing that, but much better. So there's a rumor now disproven that the original ending had Taki and Mitsuha not finding one another. Would such an ending work for the story? I say no. I mean, it, it could have yeah. worked. That'd be a bummer. Uh, it such a bummer. <laughs> you need the hope. Yeah. It would have, like, soured the end of the movie for me. I mean, it's not, you know, I've seen plenty of movies that have you know, bittersweet endings. It's like, yes, everybody's saved, but they don't get, like, the ultimate prize of finding each other and finding love kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. 
but I. Yeah. It wouldn't have sat well with me. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. I agree. Well, it's like it seems like even more so than a, than your traditional love story or anything like that. It's the movie is them searching for each other on such an emotional level that literally transcends time. Mm-hmm. That I think the question for me is what makes a better or worse movie the ending that they get or the ending where you see where that goes. And I I think it's the former. I think the ending they get is open-ended and perfect. And you can, as the viewer, fill in the blanks after that, however you see fit. But I think a lesser movie would show you another 10 minutes of what happens after they meet. And I'm glad it doesn't. Yeah. I'm glad we didn't, we didn't need the over the credits shot of them getting coffee and then, Oh, them walking down the street. Then, Oh, there they are married. And like, you know, just the wordless montage and, and it's like, and they're happily ever after. It's like, yeah, I imagine that's what happened. I don't necessarily, <laughs> I, you could have shown that to me, but it may have been a little bit too sweet, too much. It's like, no, we we've established enough. They're going to, they're going to be happy together forever. Nobody can convince me. Otherwise I don't care. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you. Yeah, it was it was yeah. interesting. Uh, so, oh, sorry, just one last thing. The um, no, go ahead. There's an interview on the Blu-ray that I watched with the director writer Makoto Shinkai, and he said that he was partly inspired by a short story by Murakami, who's a, a very famous writer in Japan, in which a young man sees a, a perfect girl on the street, and he imagines himself wooing her by telling her that they used to know each other when they were little, but they got sick and both got amnesia and forgot. But, you know, oh. so, like, they actually know each other and they should talk. But in the actual events of the story, you know, he imagines this in his head, but nothing happens. They just pass each other on the street, and he doesn't say anything. And he wanted to take that and kind of, you know, what would happen if he actually did connect them. Interesting. And I also do want to throw out there that there's a moment in this movie where before Taki finds the, the crater that he, you know, kind of puts his head in his hands and he thinks, oh, my God, this has all been a dream. I was about to rage quit for like 30 seconds. <laughs> it's all a dream. Because <laughs> if this movie played that card... And took such exquisite writing and just threw it out the window. Oh my god, would I have been annoyed? No, no, they they took the right way to the to the conclusion it reaches. Right. Um, I think it's fair to say, at least for me as a first time viewer, this is God. This is one of the most beautiful films I've seen in years. I, it really is spectacular and, and gorgeous and emotional, and and I, I understand why it's already so revered in in the community mm-hmm. of anime. And I could definitely see this being the kind of film 20, 30 years from now, if you haven't seen it and telling someone of who is a fan of anime that you haven't seen it, them pulling out a Criterion Collection copy of it that will inevitably, hopefully come um, and saying, oh, you're in for a treat. I, I think that for me is one of the standards of the future classic in this category. And I, for me, absolutely. I, I wholly agree with what you brought to the table, oh. David. Thank you. I'm happy to hear. <laughs> There's just one last thing I, I just want to mention briefly, and they are doing as they are doing a live action version yeah. of this. Which initially, when I heard that, I was like, eh, eh. I don't know. I guess to see how it plays out. But the more that's actually kind of been revealed about it, I'm a little bit more interested in. Originally, it was going to be Mark Webb directing it, which fine. Mm. But now, as of a couple months ago, uh, Lee Isaac Chung, who has directed a few a few movies and including a recent one called Minari, which I'm severely interested in, looks great and has great reviews. 
and uh, is going to be directing it based on a script written by Emily V. Gordon about a Native American woman and a, a young man from Chicago who starts swapping bodies. I'm like, okay, now you're making something interesting. So now I'm at least curious where this is going to go. So I just wanted to, to, to bring that up because I know that is coming. And I, I'm hoping just based on these recent developments that, oh, maybe they do get the point of this and maybe they can make something interesting. Uh, oh, I just really hope they avoid the, you know, the magical Native American trope. Also, yes. Also hope. Agree on that. I, <laughs> I'm hopeful with some of the people behind it creatively. I was like, they seem like smart people. Let's hope that studio yeah. doesn't come in. and. It would be super them. interesting if, like, the person in Chicago was the one who had the, the more intense spiritual connections Agreed. to start with. Interesting. I, I also think something this movie does do very well is it doesn't... Uh, again, a lesser movie would make you feel as if the more rural, removed character is the one that needs to get with the times and everything <laughs> she's discovering in Taki's life is objectively better. And uh, this movie certainly doesn't do that. Yeah. And I, I would hope that any remake would follow suit and not just like make it seem like one character is more is in a better part of society than another or something like that. Cause I could see a lesser movie. Yeah, doing is, that. The, is they don't try the whole, like, Oh, we're more enlightened out here, but we're more civilized here. Like they don't try to pull that crap. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like this movie's much more balanced. I mean, you see uh, the, the good things and the bad things about both places. Mm-hmm. Agree. So yeah, they don't, they don't absolutely. The, the setting is important obviously, but it is not the driving force of the film. It's really these characters and, and their connection. And that is, that is beautiful. And I love it. As I've said, Absolutely. I would definitely agree. I think this is, it's so beautifully written. And so I mean, the animation is, you know, the backgrounds are beautiful. And something that I really watched for this time is the um, character animations. They actually move differently depending on which person is inside the body at the time, like the, their body language is different depending on which person oh. is inhabiting them, which I thought was a really lovely, lovely touch. I also just wanted to emphasize that this movie, it sounds like this sweeping romantic epic, but it's also really funny. Mm -hmm. um, yes. So I would absolutely encourage people to, to watch it because there's some hilarious bits in it that don't just involve... Mitsuha grabbing her own boobs, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is very funny in the context. We're going to be criminals. <laughs> so, yeah, and like your, your sister suggests they should make market shrine maiden sake. And she's just, yeah. And she, yeah. she objects not because it would be crass, but because it would break the liquor tax laws. Exactly. So, <laughs> it's just. It's a lot of little funny touches in it that are just really sweet and not, it's mostly not cynical humor. I just absolutely, I love this movie. Definitely recommend. I think it, it's definitely going to be an anime classic. I don't know that the world will perceive it as a, an overall classic, but I personally, you know, this is... This is definitely going to be one of my top movies and something that I would, you know, if anybody's saying, hey, you know, what, what movie should I watch on such and such? What's just come on streaming? Mm. And I would definitely throw this out there for people to, you know, please go see this. Please go watch it. Don't read anything about it beforehand. Just go see it. You'll love it. 
Yeah, I think we'll all be upset with you if you've made it this far and you haven't seen it because you owe it to yourself certainly to get this undulterated by any spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, some people, you know, some people don't care, but it's I. It's just, just the surprises in it were yeah. were added so much emotional impact for me Agreed. the first time. Agreed. Right on. Any closing thoughts on your future classic pick? It sounds like it was unanimous, David. No, I, I agree with Nicole. I mean, I think in the way that Akira is is known by a lot of people uh, and seen by far less than it is known by. I think that uh, your name will fall kind of in that similar way of, oh, that's that one of those anime movies I've heard of for a lot of people that I haven't seen. But they're more likely, I think, to see this than so many other anime movies I could talk about and have almost brought to this uh, and sure. this is what I would recommend way more universally than Akira. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's some different vivid imagery in that movie. Well, yes. It sticks with me in different yes. ways than this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's that. I, I also think it seems like there's an appetite for at least working with this particular director for the... Uh, I don't want to compare anything to Miyazaki here because I think they are totally different beasts, but at least in the sense that there is an appetite for popular western actors to hop on to the dubbings because they like the work so much seems to be the case your name doesn't have any of those but when you look at weathering with you the the follow-up film it has you know lee pace and alison brie and like uh riz ahmed and like there's a ton of people you know Mm -hmm. doing that dubbing so at least there's an appetite for that in hollywood which is cool that shows that this is you know transcending into those circles agreed all righty. Well, Nicole, remind the audience one more time what we are watching next uh, week. We are watching Metropolis, but the version that was restored and soundtracks applied uh, and put together by Giorgio Moroder. So uh, when you look it up, you can look up for Giorgio Moroder presents Metropolis. Very good. Follow along for that. All righty. Well, let's go ahead and close out the show for your name. David, where can people find you online? People can find me on the username Davluz, that's D-A-V-L-U-Z, so Twitter and Instagram, find me there. All right, very good. You can find Nicole where? I have a letterboxed account at Nicole underscore Davis. Awesome, and you can find me on Twitter at I am Brett Stewart. Follow the show, search Movie Go Round on Facebook or on Twitter, especially if you'd like to go ahead and vote on You Did This To Us Weeks, but that'll do it for all three of us. We'll see you next week with that version of Metropolis that Nicole gifted me two years ago, and I'm finally going to watch. We'll see you then. (laughs) 